Do you do New Year's resolutions every year, Reed? Not that I remember. Although this year, did it matter? I do goals more. And some of my goals were like, spend more time reading books, play more music. And funny enough, I've had the time to be able to do that. Develop a prison body. Watch more Netflix. Stay indoors more often. Really embrace home food delivery. Eat at home more often. Eat with my family more often. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Touchpoint, specifically episode number 176. I'm Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed. How's it going today? It is good. This is the second time this week we've recorded, which is a little bit odd. But uh, with all the summer travels, all the summer travels, people aren't traveling. But anyway, with things going on, it's changing up the routine a little bit. But back for episode 176. Thank you all so much for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Rate, review, subscribe over on Apple Podcasts or stream it on Spotify or, quite honestly, we don't care where you listen to it. You could even listen on your desktop computer while you are doing some work. If you want to do that, you could go over to touchpoint.health, which is the website. You can learn a little bit more about this specific episode, the show itself, other shows on the network, other show hosts, other topics, etc., Nice little search bar right up at the top. You can just enter in different topics you're interested in and maybe find some great episodes to check out and uh, let us know what you think. We're going to take a brief pause right here and we'll be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. We've been talking a lot over these last couple of weeks, you know, about the changes that are going on in our world and how that is impacting healthcare marketing and and digital and a variety of different things. And in some of those episodes, we've actually talked about misinformation about the disease COVID-19 and and even the platforms themselves, how they're kind of struggling with this. Today, we're going to talk a little bit more about content marketing as a practice and how organizations that are trying to spread authoritative information can do so in a, in a much more productive way. 
Oh man, content. It just makes me tired thinking about it. There's people much better at this than I. Although I will say that we are on, it's just, we just mentioned episode 176. It's not that we don't create content or know how to create content, but it is an interesting dynamic. And you you talked about the misinformation. This obviously did not start with COVID. I mean, we've seen it through the years with other health topics and and even outside of healthcare for that matter. Just pick the subject, sports, politics, religious ideas. And I, you know, in, in any case, you end up with people that feel like they're an authority versus people that are an authority You must be talking about all my Facebook friends right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. One thing we did see, though, uh, shout out to Binary Fountain, good friend of the uh, show and of the network. A recent study they put out showed that content marketing itself as a topic has slipped in terms of healthcare marketing priorities. And so they looked at a number of priorities, but healthcare marketing did slip 46% down to 32%. So that's a, that's a sizable, that's a pretty good percentile drop. Yeah. And that's just recently. I mean, that's only over a small amount of time, right? Since the beginning of the year till now, in a very short time, it dropped precipitously, I would say, in terms of priorities of what they're doing. Now, content marketing in general has always been a struggle. We've talked about it before. Content marketing has always been a bit of a challenge. But quite frankly, as we kind of look at our new world order, whatever it might be, the new normal, whatever the term is that you want to call it, content marketing can be a great way for hospitals, health systems, and any kind of healthcare company to change the way they show up online, so to speak, right? Absolutely. And I mean, this is, the, I guess, the weekly plug for directory management or something of that sort. Uh-huh. But <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, that's part of content marketing, I would argue that are people finding the right information about you online. So again, don't want to spend a lot of time on that. But it is important and something certainly to consider, especially with all this going on right now. With that, today we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this about how content marketing can shift and some of the things that we're seeing content marketing doing. We're going to start off with an article from, fittingly enough, the Content Marketing Institute. Well, that seems like a logical place to start. It's not a bad one, right? Uh, and, And the article is called, Content Marketing Can Do More to Survive in the New World. And they start off by saying that content marketing is poised to be the shining star of a brand's marketing mix in this new world that we're living in. Sounds like something they would say, right? I mean, it does seem biased. (laughs) Yeah, it does make sense, certainly. And they list certain trends that they're seeing to indicate that that may be the case. Let's talk through some of the trends that they're seeing and, and see if they resonate with us. The first one they talk about is one that probably people know either uh, can validate statistically or just assume, which is traditional paid advertising is on the decline. I don't know that that's just true across the board, uh, and it may be on the decline barely, but it, it is tapering that way, at least from what I've seen with clients. Yeah, their budgets are starting to shift. And obviously, they see value in digital. And I know we've talked, even in the last episode, we talked about how targeted marketing may also have to be reconsidered because of the way we are kind of responding to that we being consumers. But traditional paid advertising has always been sort of a, a, on a decline because of all the myriad of reasons that we've we've mentioned before, you know, the, the cost of it 
the sometimes ineffectiveness, the inability to measure that sort of thing. But I think the big focus of, of why they're saying this is because they're seeing organizations really become the publishers of content and even entice people to subscribe to learn more from them. And I think that's sort of more the action. I think it's, it's less about the billboard, but more about the fact that broadcasting is declining and subscription and engagement marketing, so to speak, is, is kind of the, the piece here. They even say here that 68% of top performers use content marketing to build a subscribed audience. And 83% of those performers use it to nurture their subscribers, audiences, and leads through like marketing automation and CRM activity. Those numbers don't reflect healthcare per se, but I, I think that does show sort of a trend that we're seeing. The theme across all of this that they point out is, is acting like a publisher, not a marketer. You're looking at these information gaps, as we talked about, because I think we will see, and we, we, we are currently seeing, like especially like my kids, like they don't understand what commercials are, just fundamentally. I'm trying to think, we recorded something on television. I think it was the David Blaine special that came out whenever it was, a couple of months ago or something. And it was almost impossible to watch. Like they lost interest, like in a heartbeat. Commercial two, they were like, "Yeah, I'm out." Wow. Now, obviously, we can you know skim through the commercials and this, that, and the other, but just this interruption, they're not down with. Again, people are finding different ways to move away what, of what we're calling traditional paid. Uh, the next one that they've got in here, which is kind of interesting as well, is digital paid is dropping. Yeah, well, you and I have talked about that before too, right? That we're seeing that the paid aspects of Google search ads were dropping, Twitter ads dropped during uh, the the height of the pandemic, mm-hmm. Facebook advertisements were starting to drop. And that isn't to say that they're not gaining more audience; more people are going onto these in, onto these channels. But in terms of clicking through on the ads, those are starting to drop. I think that they said Twitter is up in usage by 23%, but expected to drop by 20% in paid advertising revenue. And Facebook uh, reports to have a similar trend. But that doesn't mean that social media is not effective. Again, using this whole concept of becoming a publisher, using social media as a way to integrate with content marketing is, is, is still very effective. It says you have to understand how it all positions together and, and maybe spend less time on creating content that would be boosted and more time on trying to create good organic content because people are still engaging with you on these channels. I was telling somebody that you know because of the influx of visitors, if you will, uh, and I'm thinking specifically about hospitals in this case, they probably had an uptick in, in organic traffic because of updated visitor policies and different things that we were posting online around PPE, et cetera. You've got an opportunity to, to leverage that traffic now. Some of these people are more likely to see your content now because they've been purposefully viewing your content. So algorithmically, it would make sense that more of your organic content is going to show up for them now. And so what do you do with that? And I think that is a a responsibility, quite honestly, like we talked about in the beginning. Another point they bring forward here too, Reed, is that, and and I'm not sure if I agree 100% with this, they say content marketing doesn't demand big investments. 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, it depends on what you call investments. I think in, in terms of just, you know, direct payment in terms of advertising, but they say content marketers can do a lot with budgets that pale in comparison to traditional advertising and paid advertising. It's not free to do, but it can be more affordable in generating positive outcomes. And again, let's put a little asterisk by that because positive outcomes is something that be, that really is a devil in the details there with content marketing. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the the big investment is just hiring people that know how to do it, or that experts in it. It's just like saying data science doesn't require big investments, or measurement doesn't require big investments, etc. I mean, technically, no, it's just your time, but somebody has to like have that subject matter expertise, you know, and I think that's where a lot of this, the big investment comes in, in my mind. Now, certainly, you know, is that cheaper than buying airtime in the Super Bowl? Uh, Sure. Yeah. I mean, if that's what we're comparing against. But I I get it. I look at it more as not so much does it require big investment. It's like you should be doing this anyway. So that kind of nullifies the investment part, right? Like you you should be investing in these types of things anyway. Therefore, if you do the incremental investment on top of that, yes, is smaller. I like the way you position that. I think that makes a lot of sense because that really is how organizations should look at that because we do need to participate. We do need to continue to create information, particularly in these changing times. We want to stay on top of being the authoritative source of what healthcare is happening in in our market, in our society. The other thing, another point they point out here is that early indicators hint at a better future for content marketing, that as organizations and marketing departments look at potentially cutting marketing budgets, which they are, that really means advertising budgets. And they say, using the kind of the logic that you just described there above, is that this could have an immediate and bigger impact to the bottom line by continuing to do content marketing while you're kind of trimming your advertising budgets. A second point they bring up here too is that a lot of your audiences are not looking to buy right now. So you could use this time through content marketing to create information that might keep them just you know engaged, might just answer their questions. And I know we've talked a lot about that in terms of the, the questions that we started to get from people on social media is a great way to understand some of the questions that our community has about our health systems. The lesson they say is to treat content marketing as a bridge in the short and long long-term to stay connected with your audiences, even if you're not advertising to them. That's the opportunity. Again, back to kind of the opportunistic side of this, uh, right now is the time because we've had the eyeballs to this point. You know, the the kind of next piece that they point out here is the content marketing lineage, if you will. (laughs) I don't know if that's the right (laughs) way to say that. I mean, they're pulling examples like Ben Franklin. More than 275 years ago, Ben Franklin published Poor Richard's Almanac as an indirect marketing tactic for his printing business. I did not know that, by the way. This is back to the like misinformation thing that we talked about earlier. I'm just going to assume it's right. This is just like the there's dolphins in the uh, canals over in Italy or whatever, mm-hmm. since there's mm-hmm. been no pollution. I don't know if that's true or not. Like I do remember seeing it on Facebook at one point, but I, I don't know. Here's another example, though, that they say in 1888, Johnson and Johnson launched a publication called Modern Methods of Antiseptic Wound Treatment. 
aimed at the needs of doctors who bought their bandages. Wow. I did not know that either. And that is a content marketing play right there for sure. I think that's the same one that that health systems are now doing, you know, kind of picking up in that regard. Sears Roebuck launched the world's largest store radio program using content from Sears Roebuck Agricultural Foundation in 1924 to keep farmers informed during the deflation crisis. Wow. I like the, the one they point out here, Blend Tech who entertained millions with its Will It Blend video series. Yes. See, that's worth watching. I'm going to go back and watch those. But those are, I guess those are all examples of content marketing, if you think about it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I guess at this point, we can wrap up the history section of our podcast. (laughs) You know, I think it's important that if we think about content marketing being there for a long period of time, it kind of reinforces the fact that this is not a new concept, that we always continually to do this. We've been doing it apparently since Ben Franklin, if not earlier, right? So um, you should keep doing that. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a compelling trend or a a test to, to see what the future is of content marketing, but it certainly is something that we should at least state for the record. After this break, we'll come back and we'll talk about some content marketing trends that, as the article that we're going to jump into in the second half of the show says, will dominate 2020 moving forward. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. So now let's jump into, I need you to add the like echo effect to my voice. The 10 biggest content marketing trends will dominate 2020. So if you can do the the echo thing, that would be awesome. You can do that in (laughs) post-production. So this, uh, as you mentioned before the break, is an interesting article. It's interesting because obviously it has come out at this point in the year, not the beginning of the year. So I do want to say that. But it's from coredna.com. And it's, uh, again, 10 biggest content marketing trends that will dominate 2020. Probably should be the second half of 2020, but in any case. And let's also state for the record that this is a content marketing agency. So they certainly have skin in the game on this one too, right? Well, why don't we hit uh, the 10 trends that they predict will dominate 2020 and beyond. Maybe I can add the echo effect to and beyond there. Yeah, there you go. The first one is something they call results focused content. Rethinking your content strategy and following a plan that zeroes in on results-focused content creation. You know, as you look at creating content, it shouldn't be just creating content because you can. Creating content for a particular purpose in mind. Many marketers just craft content without considering its value proposition to the brand or to the customers. In this particular case, they're saying one of the trends you want to follow is focus your content with a laser focus on whatever that result may be. And I think that 
that makes sense to us when we have done it in hospitals and health systems for like service line marketing or any particular kind of campaign or initiative. The second one here that they mentioned, video and live stream is going to take center stage. Maybe it has already taken center stage. I don't know. I've seen enough musical acts do their Thursday night corn streams performance or, uh, you know, whatnot. They talk about the modern consumer increasingly expects to receive video content from their favorite brands. And I find myself doing that, like especially like Instagram, different things like that. You go there and you almost skim through looking for like which ones are the videos. That's just the way we want to consume this. They talk about live stream audiences continue to grow. There was a live stream survey saying that they'd rather watch live video than read a blog post. And that was 80% of the respondents said that which I get, I, I very seldom going to actually read a blog post anymore, but that's just, you know, it's the way I consume content. Well, a good video, you know, good creative video is, is something that is, can, can be compelling. You even sent a video to me earlier this week, Reed from the Nashville public library about, oh, yeah. you know, how they're reopening. And I thought it was very fun. It, it was animated. It had a rap song and it was kind of clever, but it was talking about the policies that they're going to be following uh, as they're opening up in the post-COVID world. That helped me, even though I, I'm not going to be a member of the National Public Library, I actually watched it. And you said something to me after we saw it. You said, it just makes me want to go work for the library. Which is ironic because I just said I don't read anything. <laughs> Another thing that they said is here's another content marketing trend to dominate is user and search intent drives content creation. And we've talked about user and search intent before and really aligning it towards how you want to start creating content. And they indicate four types of web searches. So let's go through these really quickly, the four. The first is informational. Broad queries used when someone's looking for information that will return results. So the, you know, in, in our case, it could be like, what is coronavirus? Or how do I protect myself against coronavirus? Those could be two broad informational query searches that happen. And that could drive a certain type of content creation. Absolutely. Another one they mentioned here is navigational. Th these are referred to as search queries that are really just meant to get you to a specific, like you already know where you're going. Google, Google you know, which I've actually seen people do, which is hilarious. But maybe you type in the word Facebook instead of just going to facebook.com, for example. Or whatever your hospital system is, virtual visits, for example, you know, something like that uh, could be one. Another is investigational. Examples are like the best cardiac surgeons or the examples they give are more like consumer packaged goods, best headphones or reviews on this particular brand or things like that. These are a type of user intent that have certain answers to kind of address that question, so to speak. Transactional, so action focused, obviously, is one. It's based on what the user is actually wanting to do. Buy this, reserve that, book this, you know, just some sort of an action. They indicate here that Google is equipped to, they change their algorithms to point searchers to that type of content, given what they're kind of looking for by these clues that they're looking at. And the other thing that I think about, Reed, as we talk about informational, navigational, investigational, and transactional types of searches, I see an increasing amount of health systems with chatbots on their websites address these kinds of questions in their chat queries, so to speak. Does that make sense? So have you seen that too? 
Yeah, absolutely. And we saw even some some great ones uh, launched during uh, COVID uh, that were free, you know, that, that kind of addressed that particular topic. And so again, this drives your content, right? And it also drives the way content can be presented on your site. Another content marketing trend, conversational marketing will continue to evolve. Now, we talked about chatbots. This is really where chatbots and AI really play here, right? Conversational marketing allows you to engage with your customers in a more real way. You do that without having them like navigate through a tree structure of your website or even filling out a form. You can just have them start the question and they it can lead them. And one question after the other kind of leads them closer and closer to the to the answer that they're looking for. Again, chatbots do this all the time. They do. And, you know, as we've heard friends of the show like Carrie Lykin talk about, you know, these search queries are becoming longer and longer and more conversational. And so that uh, makes, makes a ton of sense. The next one they talked about here, content gets tailored to voice and smart devices. They say most smart devices currently answer about 60% of queries uh, in an accurate fashion or, or correctly. You know, obviously that'll continue to improve um, as, as our devices get smarter and then we lose control of the world. But anyway, that's a whole other. <laughs> well, if I talk to my Amazon Alexa, I know 60% of the time she doesn't understand me the first time I ask the question. So I think there's some ways to go here. But, but the point here, though, is that voice search and smart devices, they're all moving more. And I think this kind of combines with the previous one around conversational marketing. They're all becoming more aligned towards how we just naturally have a conversation with each other. Now we're starting to have these conversations with technology. Kind of weird. Kind of weird. Personalized content is another one of the trends. In addition to delivering content based on your overall needs and interests, it's also important to consider their immediate needs at that specific point in time. And so we've seen some organizations that are really looking at personalization efforts on their websites. Now, that seems kind of far flung for a lot of health systems, but uh, there's quite a fair number of organizations that are starting to get into this next best action kind of approach. And that really is a personalized content push that may come from your CRM, that may come from your marketing automation, but it's really considering where they are in the journey and delivering the content to them at that right point in time so they can continue on with that journey as they navigate through your digital properties. The next trend, don't look now, but is podcasting. What? Yeah. Imagine that. Uh, They say here that the number of podcast listeners has nearly tripled in the last decade. Um, As a frame of reference, our podcast listenership has tripled over the last couple of years. So I I think that is, uh, I think that's very much true. Podcast listeners also are very highly likely to complete the episode of their favorite show and have increased chance of engaging further with brands uh, and questions afterwards. So how about that? We're on the forefront of that, I suspect, right? That we've been doing this for so long, but it is true. We're seeing people listening all the way through to our our shows. And we're also seeing them engage with us as we post the shows and having conversations with them. And I think that that's what I really like about this medium. That and the fact that just like you don't like to read, I don't like to write so much. So I think this kind of goes hand in hand. Um, Okay, another trend. Topic-focused content builds authority. 
Google considers the context of the given page within the entire site. So as you're looking at creating content, you know, that's going to live, reside on your website or your social media site or what have you, they say you want to consider now the holistic value that your web page or website has from the perspective of the individual searcher, because developing content in that structure will allow you to be a little bit more relevant. And by the way, Google will promote it and boost it for you a little bit higher. So that's kind of an interesting trend that we're seeing. And that's shifted because of the way the search engines respond to your digital properties. The next one is The Battle of the Snippet. Also a great Pixar movie. (laughs) What they talk about here is that, you know, appearing at the top of the results page for informational uh, searches, snippets provide kind of the brief rundown of the key points. It's funny because I'll Google stuff and I'm like, oh, okay, that's that's what that is. Or that's the, and I'm like, where is this coming from? And then you kind of drill into it. It's it's really interesting the way that works. Yeah, and you could structure your content that way, right? So, you know, the top five things you need to know uh, before coming into a hospital, for example, and create that as sort of a listicle, that becomes a snippet on Google. And that really reinforces the way Google does this no-click searching that they're trying to achieve, right? They're going to pull it out and put it at the top of the search engines for you. And interestingly enough, that's how I found this article because I typed in <laughs> content marketing trends, you know, in 2020. And what do you know? There it is. There's the site with the list right there. So it worked. It made me click through to the site. Okay. Last one, last out of 10. So we got through all 10 here, but this last one is kind of important. And one that if you've paying attention to some of the, the people that are most notable for content marketing in the healthcare space, like the Cleveland Clinic and other major organizations is data-driven content creation. And we featured a lot of case studies of these on our podcast in the past, taking a data-driven mindset to develop your content is really the the point here. Taking data from how people consume content, what keywords they're searching for, to drive the types of content that you need to create. Imagine that. Imagine that. Is that a a dominating content marketing trend? They will dominate, yeah, clearly. I think the data-driven concept has to dominate. It's data-driven. And honestly, it's you, you need to look at the right data or when you're doing this, right? Because that becomes the important part. You can measure a lot of different things about how people consume your content. But if you're focusing on the things that really matter to your bottom line, if you're trying to drive more people to be able to interact with you online through your website or make an online appointment or use your virtual care, whatever it may be, focus on the, the data that really supports that. Because if you're not focusing on the right data, it doesn't matter if you're being data-driven. Makes sense? Makes total sense. And I think this is an excellent time for us to turn our attention to today's interview. Had a chance to sit down and visit with Nicole Latimer. She's the CEO of Stay Well just a few short weeks ago. Appreciate her coming on and sharing some knowledge. We talked about content, technology, all kinds of fun stuff. So let's take a brief pause and then uh, jump into the interview. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Expert portion of the podcast, which is fortunately a time in the show where we actually have people on that know what they're talking about. Today, very fortunate to have Nicole Latimer from Stay Well. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks so much, Reed. I'm really glad to be here. 
Yeah, absolutely. So for those, uh, I think the Stay Well name will certainly resonate with uh, most people listening to the show. But for those that may not be familiar with Stay Well and maybe a little bit of your background, why don't you uh, fill us in on what you guys have going on? I am the CEO of Stay Well. Stay Well is a health empowerment company, and we provide our CRAMES patient education to health systems and payers to give patients information about their conditions, their diseases, their treatment options. We also produce a series of digital lifestyle risk management programs to address things like weight management, stress, and sleep to encourage healthier lifestyle behaviors, ultimately to reduce the likelihood of a chronic condition and to improve health outcomes. Well, I've known of Stay Well for some years now, and I know you guys have have created some wonderful resources, content, technology, and stuff like that through the years. So we'll be sure to link, obviously, to the website in the show notes. So to get us started, though, we we live in this information age, none more so probably than now. I'm not sure it's a good thing that we live in an information age, but a lot of this, I think, information is fueled because of technology and the connectedness that we we all have. What does this mean for, for digital health? You know, as we think about technology and being connected and just all the information that's readily uh, available to us. You know, I think there are positives and negatives to the use of technology. On the negative side, obviously, there's a great propensity of misinformation to be quickly shared across the globe at this point. Uh, And that's actually one of the things that we're working on at StayWell, either through the CRAMES patient education we provide or the information we're providing to employers and payers who use our lifestyle risk management programs, ensuring that they have up-to-date information that is credible and clinically accurate, uh, that they can be seen as trusted resources for their patients and plan members and employees around this information. That's, That's really important to us. It's what we're working on every day kind of combating that misinformation that might be uh, floating out there on various uh, social media platforms. At the same time, the technology is also an opportunity where we can provide greater access to healthcare services. One of the things that we're seeing a boon in uh, with this latest crisis is telemedicine. Nearly 90% of all employers have telemedicine capabilities or have offered telemedicine as one of their benefits. And yet the utilization rates have been very low. We're going to see a change with this recent crisis that people will identify how can you use telemedicine to maintain social distancing and yet still get the kind of healthcare resources and access that you need to feel better. Why do you think the adoption has been what it is? I mean, I've seen some really cool use cases and you continue to see quite a bit of it, at least in the world we kind of all run around in, right? I mean, you see all the stories, but what, what do you, why do you think the adoption has, has been lower than what we might expect? You know, I think it is in part the nature of how we've all grown up with accessing healthcare. It is a, by definition, high touch industry. You appreciate being face-to-face with a clinician. Very often, 
physical exams are physical. There's actual touch involved in assessing clinical symptoms. And so I think it's hard for people, both on the clinician side and on the patient side, to break out of those norms. And of course, it becomes even harder if there are technology access issues or if there are uh, insurance or financial constraints related to the use of telemedicine. Yeah, I think that gets into some of the social determinants of health, you know, broadband accessibility, things like that, certainly. But in a wide sense, I guess, or a broad sense, we do have this increased connectivity available to us, like you just talked about in, in the digital health universe. And so can we expect or should we expect through us being connected having additional resources and all these things out there that how does that really kind of feed into ultimately the patient experience, patient outcomes, um, and just kind of the healthcare system as we, as we think about it. From my perspective, it's going to be about sharing of information across the continuum of care. So it is one thing to be working with a provider through a telemedicine connection. It's a different thing if the information that you've shared with that clinician then comes back to your primary care physician or to the physicians that you are used to working with and that it can seamlessly be integrated into the care plan that you've been provided or the information that uh, you are sharing with your providers. You need that coordination. Telemedicine right now seems a little bit disjointed. Digital health programs seems a little bit disjointed. You know, I want to know that my physician is looking at the connected devices that I have, that they're looking at that data, that they're understanding what my lifestyle behaviors are like, whether or not I'm in compliance with my care plan, and they're actually making decisions off of it. They're giving me advice and counsel and even encouragement around how I'm living my health journey. I sit here and I think, okay, as a former hospital marketing guy and a guy that works with hospital marketing folks and communication folks, what, you know, what is our role in all of this? You know, we have folks uh, like Stay Well that are producing great content and tools for us to use, and there's other ones out there, certainly. But where, where do we fit kind of in this ecosystem of uh, patient experience and outcomes? Well, this is where I think the combination of high-tech and high-touch is so essential for health systems and how they market themselves as a combination of the two. It's an ethic that we practice at Staywell. You know, we know that healthcare is inherently a high-touch industry. And yet, you can use technology to enhance the outcomes and the experience that people are having with that high-touch industry. Uh, and I, I think it's important for health systems to really think about how do you create that balance? How do you help people understand that having connected devices, using digital health programs, that the information, the data you're creating through your use of these programs can come back into an electronic medical record, can be seen and read by a physician? And that it ultimately has an impact on the advice or the education or the information that's then being shared by the physician with the patient. It really is, how do we help 
people to understand that this is the ultimate in personalized medicine because I'm able to collect much more information about you when you are outside of the four walls of a physician's office or hospital. I guess most people probably don't think about this that are mostly healthy, right? Maybe they have some seasonal allergies, they get a cold or the flu once every year or two, you know, something like that. You don't think about that I'm seeing someone about my health at this fraction uh, amount of time of, of my, you know, annual lap around the sun. As we think about the always being on and being connected and things like that, what does that look like? Because I, I think we've talked a lot, Chris and I've talked a lot on the show about interoperability and like all the health IT stuff and patient experience and the disjointed nature that we find ourselves in with a lot of this. Are we advancing the ball around health IT to really be able to do like telemedicine well, have patient portals that are worth using and stuff like that? I mean, are we, are we headed in the right direction at least? I believe that we are. You know, at Stay Well, we have chosen to concentrate on the 30% of healthcare utilization and cost that is driven by lifestyle behaviors. We think that lifestyle behaviors are actionable, and we think that, that there is a lack of education and programming and direction and accountability relative to lifestyle behaviors in traditional medicine. It's not uncommon that someone goes and has a physical and is told by their physician, hey, you could afford to lose a few pounds, and that's going to decrease the likelihood that you're going to develop hypertension or diabetes in the future. But there isn't a lot of great education or a program that you then have that feedback loop to the physician or a case manager to say, gosh, the patient actually followed the advice and that they followed the advice day in and day out. Because that's what lifestyle behavior issues are, right? It's a daily struggle to do the right thing for yourself. And so isn't, wouldn't it be great to have a clinical partner that you trust acting as your coach, seeing your information, giving you motivation. And, and that's what we're working on at Stay Well, digital health programs that can be prescribed right out of the EMR, delivered through patient portals that connect to your devices, that provide feedback to the clinicians you're working with, and that ultimately give you feedback on your performance and can help strengthen the discussion with your providers around what you need to do every day to stay healthy. As I've gotten older, some of this stuff resonates a little bit more, right? I mean, you know, you, you hit in certain age milestones and you're supposed to do this or annual physicals or colonoscopies or whatever, you know, there's kind of these like medical checkpoints, if you will. But I think back, I'm going to say it wasn't long ago, but when I was younger, I didn't care about any of this stuff, you know, so short of having a chronic illness as a youth, how do we connect? I mean, is that where social media comes in? Is that the responsibility of these healthcare systems and providers and payers and uh, large employers? I mean, how do we better connect with those types of folks? I mean, is, it, is that technology based? It is the combination of technology because that provides access and social connectivity 
with the science of behavior change. <laughs> uh, you need to have that science to think about how do you motivate people for longer term outcomes as opposed to instant gratification. Because a lifetime of healthy living with you know, 45 minutes of daily exercise and primarily a plant-based diet, that's a hard thing to stay motivated around every day. But you know it, it helps if you're part of a broader community who's also trying to live that way. If you're constantly being reminded about what does this mean 10, 15, 20 years down the road for you, as well as not forgetting to emphasize what are some of the benefits that you have from doing this stuff today? Are you going to weigh less? Are you going to have more endurance? Are you going to have more energy? Are you going to sleep better? Are you going to feel less stress? Sometimes we focus too much on, gosh, we should do this because 10, 15 years from now, it'll prevent a chronic disease. And we're not focusing on what a lot of us care about today. How do I feel less stressed? How do I get better sleep? Right? A better diet, more exercise can actually help us with that. That is you know, kind of looping back to some of the first part of the conversation that we had is this idea of credibility. There's so much noise online right now. I still feel like physicians, healthcare providers, you know, have an opportunity because they they still have uh, a pretty, you know, heavy weighted sense of credibility to have these conversations and participate online. And so I think that is an opportunity for us. It's a huge opportunity. Just the subject of nutrition is a huge opportunity. What we see through the distribution of our CRAMES patient education is that four out of the top 10 topics of patient education shared by our clients revolves around nutrition for certain chronic diseases. So nutrition for diabetes or nutrition for congestive heart failure. It's clear that they understand there is a need to be sharing information, particularly to combat all this other supposedly nutrition information or diet information that's being shared in the general media. I, I can only imagine that physicians are probably bombarded with questions around, well, should I follow keto or should I be right. <laughs> you know, restricting right. carbohydrates? Like, it must be incredibly frustrating that they're asked all these questions, that there's all this information that is really not relevant. And yet sometimes it's hard for them to be able to provide a very standardized, appropriate set of nutrition information to the patients who really do need to be following a strict diet. I can't even imagine that world just as noisy as it is, right? And having to combat as much misinformation as truth out there. And so I, anyway, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting place to be, certainly. And I don't see it slowing down anytime soon, certainly. But this, this is a really interesting conversation. And so I think, you know, for those that are listening and thinking about, okay, as a healthcare system, you know, we're, we're trying to educate our population, our employees, et cetera. What are something a marketing communications professional can go do today? You know, is there, are there conversations they should start having? Is there content evaluation sh they should do? 
you know, what's what's kind of that first step on this idea of you know making sure that we're communicating and educating in the right way? The first step would be sitting down with the key clinical departments in your health system and talk about what are the aspects of personalization that are most important to the different sub-segments of your patient population. For example, the personalization around exercise, the most important thing that you could do for a cardiac population. You know, some people like to bike, some people like to run. Are there ways that you can better connect with those cardiac patients because you are providing more information around the type of exercise that they prefer or helping them helping to encourage a variety of different exercises so that they can actually participate in it every day and feel more motivated to continue. Um, having those conversations to say really help us understand what is it that you're trying to connect with your patient population on? Because that personalization is where I think you get the greatest impact, the ability to draw people in in a meaningful way and, and start to create that high-touch, high-tech combination that's, that's going to be so powerful in the future. I think that's so great. I, if people would love to, you know, kind of continue the conversation either with you or learn more about Stay Well and what you guys are up to, what's what's the best way for them to to connect? Uh, the best way to connect is through our website at staywell.com or you can find me on LinkedIn at Nicole Latimer. Awesome. And we'll be sure to obviously link to that LinkedIn and whatnot in the show notes. Uh, Nicole Latimer, thank you for uh, coming on and sharing a little bit of knowledge and look forward to having you back in the future. Thank you so much, Reed. All right. Well, special thanks to Nicole for coming on. We certainly appreciate her time. Did want to give a quick plug. We do have an event coming up June 22nd through the 26th, so just a couple of days away. Of course, it's virtual. It's ATA 2020, the annual conference and expo. So this is the annual conference for the American Telemedicine Association, which is great. And uh, all kinds of, obviously, this is very timely. There's all kinds of really interesting information on the site. You can go check it out at gotelehealth.org, gotelehealth.org and uh, learn who's speaking, what they're speaking about, and even attend. So we would uh, highly recommend that. Great partners to the network and appreciate their support. And looking forward to that conference. It should be very interesting. And um, while you're at it, go ahead and jump over and subscribe to DataPoint, Greg's podcast, if you haven't subscribed to that already, because he, he features some really great conversations on that across a variety of things that are very related to the things that we are interested in here, too. So doing a, a side plug for him. All right. Well, um, let's talk about a couple of recommendations. A couple of weeks ago, you referred to a food box or a food service, right, that comes to you and delivers groceries to your house or delivers food, I guess, to your house. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, my wife and I were actually introduced to a food service that's really interesting. It's called Imperfect Foods. Have you ever heard about this this delivery system? 
No. So Imperfect Foods was founded in California a couple of years ago. And the whole point was to eliminate food waste and build a better food system for everyone. So what they do is they offer delivery of, first of all, it started with produce, vegetables and fruits that are imperfect, quote unquote, for the standard grocery store. Maybe the apples are a little bit smaller than what are typically sold in the grocery store. Maybe the carrots are a little bit deformed or or what have you. They're not bad. They're just not what you would expect to purchase in the average grocery store. They provide this food delivery system every week where you can sign up for a box and you can get produce and vegetables delivered to your door that's imperfect. And so they're about 30% off grocery store prices. So you can get, you know, like kale and turnips and potatoes. And it's interesting because they're all just, they're just a little bit different than what you see in the grocery stores, which I didn't realize these are the ones that didn't make the cut, so to speak. And even more interesting is they've expanded past produce and fruit now, Reed. They have been also delivering restaurant grade meats dairy products, and other things. And the reason why that's interesting is because in this time where everything's been kind of shut down, there is a whole side of the food industry that was selling directly to restaurants. Well, they are picking it up. And so now you can purchase things like um, we got some salmon steaks the other day that were just delicious, right? Um, And that's because they, they would be traditionally sold to the restaurants and they're like under market prices, which is kind of very interesting to us. So it's a subscription service. Every week you get an email. They say, this is what's going to be in your box. They kind of build a box, but you can go through and you can take things out, put things in and go in and, you know, find all these other things and that delivers to your door. And we love it. You know, all summer long, we're going to be eating fresh produce from the Imperfect Foods box. And that's my recommendation. You can go to imperfectfoods.com to learn more. Very cool. I'll check that out. I'm going to recommend an app for those that maybe have a summer project coming up. Benjamin Moore has an app that uh, maybe you're curious about painting a room. You think your home office, now that you're spending more time in it, uh, would be better a different color. Uh, Maybe you saw your neighbor's new house. It's got one of those trendy like navy walls or something or one of those kinds of things. You can download Benjamin Moore's app and you can actually use either photos or video to visualize what that particular color from Benjamin Moore would look like on your walls. It's a really uh, interesting use case for AR, AV, AR space. And so you can upload photos and then go through their color wheel and choose different colors and it like swaps it out on your wall and you can see ultimately how it's gonna look. Or you can use the uh, video visualizer and just kind of like scan around the room and like change the colors and it's, uh, it's kind of neat. Nothing else, it's just fun to play with, so. Um, just coincidentally, I'm thinking about painting one of the rooms in our house. So maybe try this out here, so interesting. Yep, Benjamin Moore, great little app. And, and again, I, you know, Certainly buy your paint from them if you like the app, but if it's just to try to get an idea of do you really like that color or not, could be a simple way to uh, kind of scroll through some different looks and uh, see what works for you. All right. Well, another great episode, another great week. I appreciate the support. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for telling a friend. That's still the number one way that you can help us out. We certainly appreciate all you do for not only Touchpoint the show, but Touchpoint the network. If you haven't been out to the site, touchpoint.health is your destination. Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week.
This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.